Possession crucial from this. How much longer will the referee allow? Dublin lead by a point. And there's the whistle. It's over. It's over. We earned it by winning the last two matches on the road, and that's not going to be taken away from us. What I love in Hurland, I love players that will never give in. He hits it. He hits it. It's over the bar. Hello, welcome to the RTEGA podcast. Mikey Stafford and Rory O'Neill with you as always. Uh, this week we've been joined by Dennis Walsh of the Irish Times and by Brendan Maher, performance coach with the Offaly Hurlers, um, recently minted performance coach with the Offaly Hurlers. And I should mention Dennis also is only recently minted with the Irish Times. So we've got two guys here with new jobs. So congratulations, everybody, on your going moving up and around and about in the world. Thanks, Mikey. <laughs> um, <laughs> Brendan, I guess it's it's an interesting uh, an interesting role for you. Um, first of all, I think most of us were quite fond of the idea of you being on TV, so hopefully that will continue. Um, we were liking your your punditry, but I suppose the more normal way for you know All Ireland winning hurler who wants to get into coaching is you know become a coach with a with a with a, a club or an intercounty setup or perhaps a selector. Um, or if you're Desi Dolan, kind of jump jump almost straight in there. Um, so the kind of the this for a GA player to take up the performance coach role is, is probably a little bit unusual. And could you maybe give some idea behind your thinking on it? Yeah, I suppose it is. Um, it's an area I've always had a huge interest in, and I've a bit of studied on in it. And it's something I'm doing day to day in a work capacity in the executive world, I suppose, in the corporate world. So. It's not new to me as such. Um, it's just, I suppose, I'm applying it now in a sporting arena. The, I suppose the context of it is that, you know, I'm still playing club hurling with Bursley and I want to be able to give that my full commitment. A role like this is appealing because it doesn't require you to be there on the pitch every night. Um, so in terms of time commitment, it's a bit more flexible. So a lot of my role will be around one-to-one support, which will be done over phone calls virtually and whatnot. And then obviously you'll have some of the team stuff. Um, I'll be making as much trainings as I can to observe the group and to, to interact with the lads. But, you know, I suppose that's what's appealing about it for me, where I am currently. I want to stay playing with Bursley. I want to be able to give that full commitment. So um, it's an area I'm interested in and it it's, it was one that was, I suppose, quite uh, appealing to me for multiple reasons. The area itself, Johnny Kelly being manager, I have a really good relationship with him. He was with Bursley for five years and his head coach is my older brother, Martin. So, um, the connection. so who, who made the approach? Did you approach them or did they approach you? Uh, look, it was a conversation. I, I would have done a bit of this stuff with Johnny uh, in the club. And on his appointment, I suppose, I, I congratulated him and we started chatting and it's a bit like, how you how, how did you meet your wife? One thing led to another. Um, it's just, you know, like <laughs> it, it's the whole, it, it was kind of just said, look, I'm doing a lot of it in this area. If you want any support, I'm there for you. And then, you know, he he came back to me saying, look, I think I'd love to have you on board. Would you be interested in in doing it in a more formal capacity, I suppose? Um, so I had to think about it. Um, it's in place. A number of weeks now i won't uh it didn't just happen this week uh it broke this week but um yeah we've been back and forth on it over the last month or so yeah um dennis i i think those of us obviously who kind of know brendan's kind of his background and kind of the, what he is doing work-wise now this this isn't this isn't a great surprise uh, as i said that the kind of surprise here is that he's so recently retired from inter-county hurling it's interesting because 
as you mentioned in a wonderful column you wrote for the Irish Times this week, which I think everybody should read. It's it's funny and also kind of kind of gives the the potted history of sports psychology and performance coaches in in the GAA. And they have normally been they have been qualified psychologists or they have been in the Dunaco, Callahan, Gordon Darcy mold of people coming perhaps from professional sport in Ireland. That's most likely going to be rugby. Um, so it is kind of unusual that the for Brendan, a hurler, to be going in with a hurling team. Yeah, I suppose it is, uh, Mikey. And it's a great, it's a great, you know, it's great to see because obviously people from, I think, Brendan's generation would have been exposed to a whole load of um, sports science and preparation on a different level to other generations. You know, they're just more exposed to modern thinking and modern practices and so on. And I've no doubt there'll be more people like Brendan. With the, with the personality as well as with the as well as with the background and with the, um, you know, the kind of uh, exposure to this kind of stuff, this kind of expertise, who will take it on in the future? I, you know, that, that's without doubt. I mean, there's an awful lot of crossover in the GA now, which is great. The, the GA has become a lot more open to other sports people from other sports coming over. And, you know, um, there's an awful lot of crossover in the science as well. It's not a lot of kind of common ground. So it's been a real, in the last 30 years, more, even more than 30 years, there's been a real kind of... Um, not a drift towards this. There's been a push towards this from from GA teams and GA managers that you know teams are looking for whatever inch or whatever percent that they can source. And um, sports psychology is a huge area for for teams to try to. I think I think when teams don't have it right, or when that area is wrong, I think it really hurts teams. I think teams might might struggle to quantify how important it is when it's right, but they really know when it's wrong. Yeah, um, Rory, it was interesting, I suppose, from a TV perspective that. Caroline Curd was, you know, during the the um, Limerick kind of banquet this year. She was up on stage. She was interviewed. She was introduced as who she is, you know, kind of Limerick sports she psychologist. Did, she didn't give she didn't give much away, no. No, well, that's the one thing she was never. The fact that they got her on stage was impressive enough, I'd yeah. say. But um, you know, and you know, we go back to nineteen ninety six and Neil Fitzpatrick and kind of the 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 smoke and mirrors and kind of the mystery and almost like you know. You know that she wasn't hidden away, but there was nobody blowing trumpets about her either. We've kind of we've kind of come to the point now where it's accepted, and like it's almost as if in, as an intercounty backroom team, you're going nowhere if you don't have someone in the ilk yeah. of Caroline or Brendan on board. Big time, I, but I but I would also contend, and I'd be interested in both the la- everyone's views in that. I think sports psychology has probably been around in one form or another going back to even Mick O'Dwyer's time and maybe even before then. Like, I think the arrival of the Bonish door, I mean, obviously until maybe the early 60s, the manager really didn't really develop a cult of personality in the way that I suppose the likes of Kevin Heffernan, Mick O'Dwyer, you know, the likes of Babs, um, Cyril Farrell, all of these guys kind of carved out the niche for the manager. And I think to a degree, if you read a lot of their books, Justin McCarthy's, all of these guys, like there was, there's, there is an element of sports psychology in a lot of what they did in terms of how they managed their teams as well and trying to get under a lad's skin in terms of getting the best out of him, understanding which guys need which kinds of buttons to be pushed to kind of, you know, coax and coalesce the, the the best performance out of each individual because everybody's a little bit different. Uh, it goes back to the old cliches, which fella needs the arm around the shoulder and which fella needs to kick up the hole. And I think that's always been there. I think where it's probably gone now is there's a much more scientific approach to it. I think there's a huge amount of research gone into it. I think it's a much more interesting area where teams, as Dennis said, can probably extract 
quite a bit that's maybe a little bit difficult to quantify the benefits of but as Dennis said if it's not there you know you probably notice it more and I mean we've even seen a good colleague of ours and a good friend of ours uh, Kieran Shannon who I think ended up going into that road going down that road and being quite successful and I know he's had stints with uh, the Mayo footballers maybe the Clare footballers I think he might have been involved with Cork and a few other teams over the last few years so I think it's probably which what's that the tip hurlers, yeah, yeah, you know. So, like, I think, I think it's always been there. I, what, what I would be, and again, look, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong on that. What I would be interested in, though, I mean, I read a lot of sports autobiographies, and Daryl Shea's now is an interesting one, and obviously he comes from a slightly older generation, and there was a sort of a reticence and a sort of a suspicion around it that it was some sort of voodoo that we didn't really need. Would you think that culture is still there in any way, shape or form, Brendan? Or has that sort of, is there just a newer type of player coming into the inter-county scene that, you know, understands this is something that could benefit me. So I'm going to come at it with an open mind. I think the the term psychologist even was probably what was maybe problematic for people with a, a certain brush. And if you notice, you know, a lot of people are in now, it's performance coach. It's not sports psychologist. Yeah. Um, so I like I'm not a psychologist, um, yeah. but I have a lot of studied on in different areas in leadership, in emotional intelligence, and um, in coaching. So it's it's more of a holistic approach, I'd say, to performance rather than purely looking very deep at psychology. Because you know you're dealing with players who you know might not have much exposure to it and interest in it, but you're not trying to force psychology on the player. You're actually just trying to support and help them get the best out of themselves. That's it in simplistic terms. And the demanding role of a manager and of, and of, of a hurling coach and selectors, that's so demanding in itself. I think it's that extra support. It's just the, re- it's the same reason why S&Cs are brought in and nutritionists, nutritionists are brought in. It's all becoming part of the game now. And a manager cannot do it all himself, you know, uh, or herself. Like there's, it's just, it, I suppose it's, it's the whole kind of idea of, surrounding yourself with good people and delegating and trusting that okay i don't have to think about all of these things now i can focus on managing people and, and managing the team and i can use all of these different resources at my disposal to to do their bit um so that's my, my role is to, is to support johnny kelly as a manager and the coaching team as coaches and, and with that the scope is to try and help the players get the best out of themselves as individuals and collectively as a team uh, and that's, I suppose, that's the opportunity that I'm going after with, mm. with Offaly. Yeah, it's interesting, Dennis, what Rory said about kind of how managers probably the Hefo, Mikko kind of characters, they they would have performed this role to part. I was interested because I was talking to the guy who manages my hurling team, used to be the doctor for the Kilkenny hurlers and the Wicklow hurlers and the Wicklow footballers for a time. And he said, watching Mikko Dwyer was fascinating how Mikko Dwyer operated. He never did a team talk. He didn't do one team talk. He did. 15 20 25 team talks he in the court in the course of a run-up to a game like maybe the last training session or the second to last training or the day of the match he'd find time to sit down for five minutes quietly with each one of his players and he'd tell them exactly what he wanted them to do or he'd tell them what he thought they wanted to hear but he never actually did a team talk so obviously mick o'dwyer in that respect he obviously he was thinking about the players mentality psychology all along as well and he would never have kind of used the phrases that we're using here now yeah, sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I should already mentioned Babs there, and uh, Babs, I would have ghosted, ghosted the column with Babs for down for many years, and 
and Babs would have had loads of business books around the house, and he would have been reading books about management and so on. So, in in a business context, and how he could translate those principles across the the hurling and so on, and you know, man managing people. And I would have heard him on the phone talking to players if they rang in the car, and like you know, you could tell that he was he was managing them in, in a certain way, and he was using a certain language and a certain tone and so on. So like yeah, so there were people without doubt who, who and, and and you know, and Babs would have been one of the first guys that had a kind of. Uh, a supporters club and brought in all that stuff, suits and all, all the kind of things that made players feel better about themselves and gave them an, an identity. And I'm sure that's all part of it. They're all different strands of the same kind of general subject. But um, but no, but it, it, it has changed in a few ways, uh, Mikey. And the most important way I think it's changed is as, as GA teams became more open to the idea of it, um, it wasn't just one-off talks or one-off appearances or guys appearing once a month to have a chat you know, like a classroom type scenario, more and more teams brought in sports psychologists or performance coaches as an embedded part of their management team. So they were they were there as often as the SNC guy or the skills coach or whoever. They were part of the group. They were part of the, of the environment. Like Caroline Carroll is part of the environment in Limerick. Gary Keegan was part of the environment in Dublin for years. Um, Kieran Shannon, you mentioned Kieran, I know was very much part of the environment in uh, in Mayo. So that was that was a big leap that uh, managers and players accepted these people as part of the environment and as mm. part of uh, preparation on a weekly, daily basis. Mm. Brendan, I've I, I've heard uh, recently enough, actually, someone told me just uh, an anecdote or uh, a compliment to you anyway. They said um, they work in Tenio and they said, you know, they get a lot of kind of speakers in, you know, motivational speakers or people like, you know, giving talks about leadership, etc. This person said they had never had any time for any of them at all. They didn't think they did anything for them until you came in and they actually thought that you were a particularly impressive speaker that you actually, you drew on your background. Obviously you drew on your, you know, kind of the, uh, the training you've been doing, but also, you know, I suppose you come in with a little bit of a, a, a kind of three all Ireland's in your back pocket for a certain kind of person will carry a bit of weight. But they said, regardless of that, you're very good at what you do. Um, you've had a couple, like you, you were a primary school teacher, um, you were running the business for a while. I was interested just how, separate from the Offaly gig, kind of how you kind of got into this this line of work. And I'm wondering, were you inspired by Caroline Curd, Kieran Shannon, or even Liam Sheedy, who obviously has a touch of this about him as well? Or was is it kind of a develop, something to develop separately from your hurling? Um, yeah, a bit of both, yeah. So I, I suppose when I was, you know, when I, I decided to take the career break from teaching back in 2017 and got into the whole world of consultancy, um, that took on a life of its own. And I think it was probably, there was probably a, a kind of a wider thing of applying what I was learning in a sporting environment and applying in that, that in a business context. So I obviously did that by setting up my own business and still have that and that's running away. And I try to apply as much of what I know from, from kind of being involved in a sport environment in that sense. And from the consultancy point of view, it's now then you're just trying to kind of transfer it across. But like what I would say is that my experience working with sports psychologists, performance coaches, all of that, like there's quite a cynic in me as well in terms of what what it should be about. And I try to take the best of what I believe landed with players, not just with me, but landed with players over the course of the 13 years I was involved. And try and wrap that in, up into okay, well, what really matters here? What kind of lens? What's important to players, and what's important to people? And that's kind of the stuff I try to focus on, and to try and not just not give an off-the-shelf kind of a product or or something that you think, oh, well, this is what the science says, so this is what I want to talk about. 
it's more of, well, this is the environment that I'm in. I obviously know what it's like to sit in a dressing room um, and be in that environment. I can remember these are the struggles I would have had. These are the struggles I know my teammates would have had. So potentially this is what I should be going after. Um, but to be honest, most of the time you're just there as that support mechanism. Like just be a good listener and, and be there to try and help lads that, you know, have different struggles in different areas or different facets of their game, not from a hurling point of view. And I think that's important that I'm not going in as a hurling coach. I'm not going to be talking about them, you know, about tactical stuff or that. This is purely as you as an individual trying to get the best out of yourself. What's blocking you? What's in your way? You know, what are the strengths you need to build on? And just trying to harness that potential that we have, that everyone has in them and try and get the best out of them. I'm sure there'll be a few awfully lads who'll be curious to pick your brain from a hurling point of view. Are you going? Are you going to shut that down and say, "No, that's not my hair. It's not my hair." No, look, I mean, but that's it's the needs of the, you know, the the person that's that you're talking to. If they, if that's where it needs to go, it can it can go there. But I suppose it's it's just I suppose that perception of okay, the hurler is coming in, he's going to tell us how to hurl. That's not the case here, um, and I'm very kind of diligent from my perspective on my approach that you know if I go into a company I'm not going to talk about hurling I'm going to talk about the principles that you can apply in whatever context you're in um, that maybe I've learned or I've experienced um, but it's not about like do it this way it's this is what the principles would say and this is what the the evidence would say and this is what my experience of that is um, and then you take and you interpret it whatever way you want and try and apply it. And I'm there to support you in that application and that kind of implementation of whatever you're trying to achieve. Is confidence is confidence something that you would look to address, uh, Brendan, in your line of work? Because I mean, uh, you know, I look, I'm very interested in soccer. Love soccer. Big Liverpool fan, as you know, some people may know. And you know, you see Liverpool struggling for confidence, and even Klopp mentioning last night that confidence in a team environment is a much more difficult thing to reassert. Mm. because you're trying to get 11 or 15 in a GA context to all feed into that lift in confidence collectively, as opposed to an individual sport where you might have certain mechanisms and certain triggers. And obviously from an awfully perspective, when we see the relegation out of division one, division one last year, and obviously they, they, they shipped some big, you know, like they shipped a couple of big beatings, let's be perfectly honest. And they have a better opportunity now, as we say, facing into Joe McDonough, um, which they'll have some challenges in there, no doubt as well, because Leash obviously dropping down. That'd be quite an interesting derby match. But mm. building confidence in a team that maybe have had their confidence knocked, is that something that you would look to get in and address and try and build? Or, like, or is that something that you just leave to the management or... No, it will be. It would definitely is something that you know you'd want to be trying to, I suppose, add something to or support. And you know, I always say like confidence and belief comes from evidence, and evidence comes from action. Obviously, so you know, what are the actions like? What what are we doing here to try and address this? And then that's from both from an individual point of view, and then how does that come together as a collective? So like you take Liverpool at the moment, it's it's a struggle because their games like are so close, and there's just like. It's, it's the opposite of momentum. Do you know what I mean? It just mm. kind of comes on you and it's just, you're trying, but those actions, the the outcomes of those actions just aren't there yet. But I've no doubt, like, you know, you listen to Jurgen Klopp speak and you listen to the players speak. They're, they tried a new system last night. It worked well for them, a defensive system. They're they're acting and they're they're putting things in place. So 
as a Liverpool supporter, I'm confident that they'll they'll, um, they'll turn it they'll turn it around. I, I'm not. Then <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just this kind of brings us back to the headline on your piece from Monday. You know, incurable losing still rampant despite teams embracing sports psychology. This is the thing. There's no guarantees if two if both teams in an All Ireland final have a sports psychologist, one is going to lose. A sports psychologist is not a silver bullet. Not that I'm saying Brendan for one second sure. is oh, claiming yeah. to be a silver bullet. And absolutely, look at and the show, Mikey. It's all about as as Ben was talking about there. It's all about trying to maximise the, the potential of your group or trying to kind of get to the start line uh, without being behind four or five other teams who are who are in a better position or whatever. Or you know, it's all about you know trying to reach reach players and trying to release their potential. Like and yeah, I mean, um, it's just been, but it's a pattern now and a trend, Mikey. You go through all Ireland winners for the last 10, 12 years, and there are very few that didn't have this covered off. I mean, Kilkenny and Brian Cody is the obvious one, and you would have heard Kilkenny players say a million times, Brian is our psychologist, and Cody's uh, approach would have been very much, um, players were in, in an environment where they knew that they needed to find the answers themselves, inside themselves, and that was his technique, and it worked for, it worked for, for many years, worked, worked spectacularly well for many years, but it doesn't work everywhere, and it hasn't worked for, for, for other teams, obviously, and other guys wouldn't have his personality to pull it off, so um, but I mean, there's just been a real pattern. Like when you look at Dublin, I mentioned Gary Keegan a while ago, uh, a guy who's got an incredible record in Irish sport with boxing and with the Irish Institute and so on. But I mean, Dublin had the best footballers, you would say, for, for those six, seven years when they were totally dominant under Jim Gavin. But Jim Gavin wasn't taking any chances. He also had the best sports psychologist, the best performance coach. So he wasn't prepared to allow just the best footballers take a chance on winning the All Ireland. He had to have the best guy with him. I remember there was one All Ireland final, um, it was one of the replays. So it was a Saturday game. We were still in the press box maybe an hour, an hour and a half after the game. And Dublin's backroom team came out for a team photo, uh, something we'd never seen before. So they all came out about an hour after the game. There was about 20 of them in this group shot. And you're thinking, well, this is the best team in the country, but this is this must be the best backroom team in the country. So Jim Gavin took no chances. And like, so he was making sure that he had the best performance coach, the best sports psychologist to make the best players even better. Yeah, you, Brendan, would have been you would have experienced there in your last few years a tip a very large backroom team. So I think the tip rate like the when Liam came back, I think I, I think a similar photo was taken. It was kind of totted up. Is that ever something that's confusing for players, or you know, kind of even for a younger player that might be a bit intimidated by like this, you know, kind of this this cottage industry that's that that's there that it's not just a manager and a selector which they might be used to from club or you know even a physio being in there, but that there's this like. You know, there's, there's like, it's almost like a small company. Is that, is that something that you know that could ever play on a player's mind? Um, I, I don't know to be honest. Um, I've never heard that perspective from someone, but that's not to say that that's not the case. I know from my own point of view, you would the best support around you at your disposal, and you use this whatever way you wanted. So I think that was the beauty of it. So I mean, you had a nutritionist, an S and C physio, doctor, you know, masseur. So you basically had everything where you potentially might have a need, you had the support there to address that need. Um, and I think that's what managers are trying to do when they're when they're assembling a backroom team, they're thinking, right, what what do I need here to make sure that the players have all the support that they they need or require? Um, and obviously with panels being large and and the demands, there's, there's probably an aspect of this where the training levels and the physicality levels and everything have gone so high that there's a need for more I know we had three masseurs for a while um, throughout the season because so many lads were broken down. They needed, you know, they needed. So Liam, I remember, got in an extra masseur just for a few weeks. Like, 
and you'd have you know you could have five or six lads up then every few minutes to be changed and it was just churning them out like so there's you know it's going to facilitate a large group where the demands are high and the pressure is high and you just you're trying not to leave anything to chance i suppose so i mean if we're able to get these people and the you know the resources are there i mean why would you choose not to you know unless you had a valid reason so i don't think well, oh, maybe I'm wrong here, but I certainly in the case of Leem and any of the management teams that I've been exposed to, there was never, you know, somebody involved for the sake of being involved. Oh, yeah. There was a reason and a need that was there that was being addressed. I'd imagine so. Um then look looking at Offley then this year, I guess are you in any way your approach is in any way shaped by what say Johnny's aims are and aspirations are I would imagine his aims and aspirations are promotion from 2A and promotion from the Joe McDonough does that in any way frame how you approach your job or are you very much just dealing with the individual regardless of what the team's ambitions are no look I mean that will all filter into it um but I suppose you know stepping back from that a big part of me wanting to work with Johnny is we would share I suppose similar principles around what a good team environment should look like um what a good team performance looks like what individuals look like so i mean that kind of philosophy is shared i think between the two of us which is why you know i was saying would love to work with you so um no it will look i mean that'll all be part of the journey it's a part of every team's journey they'll start out at the start of the year going right what's the goals what are we going after what needs to be put in place to make that happen and yeah and you go off and try and have a go at it so um i'll do my best to to make as much of an impact as i can and support them on that journey and um i'm looking forward to it it's you know it's it's while it's still the same game that i've been involved in all my life it's different territory for me um and it's nice to be doing it in a in an area that i'm passionate about obviously as well so um yeah can't wait to get started yeah any word dennis you know on who Derek ling is getting in as a performance coach now that i guess brian cody won't be available to him <laughs> yeah i haven't heard i haven't heard uh, mike no no i haven't heard i'm not sure well, you wouldn't know. I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe Derek now will just take a completely different approach and be a, be a whole new departure. Like, uh, you know, uh, who knows about that? But uh, yeah, no, it's interesting. It's interesting to see uh, how we get on. I'm sure he's a smart guy, and that's for sure. He certainly is. Um, I suppose just moving away from that now, I suppose, and just looking at the hurling, kind of the landscape is is very, very changed, Brendan. I think, you know, if you look at kind of Liam McCarthy, the amount of new managers there are, you got Derek, you got Davey, you got Liam Cahill in, in, in your own in your own native county, Pat Ryan, you know, Michal Donahue. It's um it's gonna be an intriguing year, isn't it? Because you know, there's there's a lot of counties there where there's just gonna be wholesale changes in personnel, approaches, you know, aspirations, everything. Yeah, look, there's been a lot of movement. Uh I'm looking forward to it. I think, you know, I, I think there's gonna be um I won't say surprise packages, but I, I I think there's going to be impact made, you know, when you when you list out all the people there that are have gone into new roles, they're all people very experienced who have a track record, who know what works and know how to make an impact. So um I'm certainly looking forward to what way it transpires and obviously with a, a very vested interest in in how Liam does with his team and the lads here in tip. Like I mean, there's a I'd say a an optimism in a lot of counties, you know, with the with the new appointments. You know, you talk about Mihal in Dublin, um, Davy down to Waterford, Leeman Tip. Like there's 
there's a buzz around a lot of counties looking forward to next year and uh, it, it does bode well. I think it, it has the makings of, you know, there'll be plenty of fireworks, I'd say, on the sidelines and on the pitch um, <laughs> with some of the personnel involved. It's yeah. a fascinating, it is a fascinating championship though, Mikey. Like, I mean, it's the first championship since 1998 without Brian Cody involved. I think even that subplot alone, I think is... Uh, absolutely intriguing i mean it's just uh, it's it's just just to see what a post kilkenny brain cody a post brain cody kilkenny (laughs) team is going to look like is going to be fascinating in and in and of itself and then to see basically three of this five big fish in munster all under new management as well there's going to be so many new faces fresh faces different ideas different approaches different approaches to the media I think it's uh, it's going to be extremely fresh, extremely fresh, and like there'll be um, there'll be a lot of there'll be there'll be there'll be it's going to be you know brilliant for the neutral, and we could but you could end up with Limerick winning it again. That's the only thing, you know. Yeah. So anyway, with all, long with way all the new personnel, Dennis, the, the league might actually be worth watching, will it? Oh, Mikey, I don't know, man. It's very hard to even think about the league this season after what happened last year. And yeah, it was just uh, like just having a quick glance at next year's calendar. Crikey. I mean, in football, especially, the league's going to be crushed. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. You know, it's hard to it's hard to get a grasp of who's going to be really pushing that hard in the league, to be honest, Mikey. Um, you couldn't see Cork and Borderford going going headlong into it again like they did last year, maybe, you know. So, and there's other teams, I'm sure, who'll have a similar kind of reticence about it. But yeah. Look, uh, but as as lad said, like, when there's a whole lot of new managers, it always brings energy, and you know there's going to be a buzz about it. Um, before, but certainly before the league starts, whatever about whatever come March when people are kind of trying to avoid the league final in in, in, in the old-fashioned Scott bicycle race, you know. So, indeed, that's, that's what's going to be interesting, though. I think I can mention all the new managers. That's the dilemma that they have. You know, do I try and make an impact early and build momentum, or do I trust that? I know what I have and I know what I'm bringing here and I'm going to try and peak for championship because it's a, you know, it's a balancing act. Like I think that. we know what Liam Cahill will be doing this year. He won't be doing the same as what he did in Watford last year, you'd think. But then you he, see it's a different different players as well, Brendan, so he does have an onus on him to do something with the league, yeah. He probably needs to find a few players, I'd imagine, Brendan, doesn't he? Yeah, like I think, and I think there's a lot they of They all do, they yeah. all do, yeah. Yeah, yeah but I, like certainly in that case, and... You think of Davey going to Waterford as well, he's probably going to want to freshen things up a bit as well to, you know, after the year that they had. So there's there's so much at play. I think it's a it's a real dilemma for a manager to make that decision and they have to stick with it then. They can't, you know, it's not a case of like, right, we'll go hard enough for a few games and then we'll take, the, like that doesn't work and it doesn't happen. It's either, okay, let's try and like push as far as we can and then we'll try and maintain it or, or go to even new levels or we try and build you know, we use as many players, everyone's going to get an opportunity and, and we'll see where we are and, and maybe slowly start to kind of form your team towards the end of the league. That tended to be the approach I think we would have had in tip a lot of years where, you know, the first kind of three or four games was where lads would get their opportunities. And you knew then kind of coming into the last kind of two rounds of, of the league, you were starting to think, right, I need to up it here. This is now where championship team is starting to be formed and I need to make sure I'm part of that. Um, and, you know, that, like... It's it's an interesting one. It's it's going to be interesting to see who goes who goes out comes out with the traps quickly and and who maybe sits in the long grass. A lot easier for the likes of John Kiley to do that with Limerick and even Henry to do it in Galway now, having had a year under his belt. Like it's it's it, context is important here. I think. 
there's no um there's just no taking on, the, on that point yeah go on yeah, just on that point though mikey it, it's a shame in a way because there was a time when you could you could nearly pick out games that would would have meaning in the league, and that would be meaningful. That you know, when, when, you're, when you're watching the game, you're saying, you know, there's going to be something on this. There's going to be yeah, something, something on, on this. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Brendan mentioned now Liam Sheedy. I remember Liam's first time around in 2008, 2009. I remember a couple of really big games against Kilkenny in the league because Kilkenny mm. were always Kilkenny were never not trying. So and they're always trying to put teams away early in the year. So like, I remember Sheedy putting a lot of uh, importance in those games. But no, I just don't know, lads. Next February, March, will we even find one of those games? Mm. Well, there'll be a few in Division 2A because awfully are going to be determined to get back <laughs> up, into, <laughs> up into the top flight. Isn't that, uh, Brendan? There'll, uh, no, there'll be no arse boxing in Division 2 anyway. It's uh, get, get, you need to top that table. This is where I stay quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. On that note, gents, um, it was great chatting to you both, um, Dennis and Brendan and myself and Rory. We'll be back with you next week, just to mention, uh, on the television, we have uh, Dublin Hurling semi-final, Rory, on Saturday evening. Yeah, the old derby, uh, Crokes-Bowden. So, uh, very, very interesting one. Crokes on the march for another double. Um, they're going for the double-double, as we know. Uh, Bowden, I think, would be quite happy to stop them. <laughs> but it'll be, a, it'll be a good game of hurling, I'd say. A 40-year-old Conal Keeney. Fair play to him. Um, okay, we'll chat to you next week. Uh, thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Brendan. Uh, good luck. Talk to you. Again. We earned it by winning the last two matches on the road, and that's not going to be taken away from us. But what I love in Hurling, I love players that will never give in. He hits it. He hits it.